0: Lord, we come before you. We thank you so much for this time together. God, we thank you for your word that is inexhaustible. God, I thank you for all of these young men and women that are chasing after you, that are setting their faces and their hearts like flint toward you. God, I pray that you would use each one of them in their lives for a mighty purpose for the kingdom. Give them strength and endurance to run the race that you've set before them. And God, let this study in Deuteronomy 29 be blessed. Lord, let us hear from you directly out of your word tonight. We love you, God, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Okay, for those of you that don't know, the last few chapters of Deuteronomy are really a summary. So 29 through 34, to close out the book, are really a summary from the Lord through Moses on what the Lord brought them through from Egypt all the way to entering the promised land. And you can look at the children of Israel from Egypt. They were saved by the blood of the lamb in the Passover. They were delivered from slavery and tyranny from Egypt, a typology of the world. They were then baptized through the Red Sea where their enemies were drowned behind them. Then they started their walk in their ministry with the Lord and what should have been a 72 hour journey turned into a 40 year wandering in the wilderness, lost without direction, faithful, faithlessness to enter the promised land. And ultimately that generation had to die off and they were disinherited of the land and a future generation, their children, God raised up to enter into what he wanted to give them. And so you can look at that entire story of the children of Israel as a foreshadowing or a type, a model, if you want to call it that, of our lives as the Christian, as a member of God's church today. In that, how are we saved? By the blood of Jesus, then we're baptized, and then we begin our walk with the Lord, where there are some battles and things going on, But it's really not until you enter the promised land and you fully surrender to God that you're truly at war and really at war and taking land and territory. The wilderness wanderings are kind of this space of where they were to get on the meat of the word of God and mature quickly and go into what God had called them to. But instead, they loved wandering around, having manna from heaven The Lord just providing everything for them constantly. And and surely he is our provider. But God wanted them to get into the battle. He wanted them to press on. And so when you get to Deuteronomy 29, God has a message for his people summarizing this walk. And so what I want to do is we're going to go through this verse by verse and just talk about how this relates to us as, as the children of God today. Okay, it starts out with, these are the words of the covenant, which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the children of Israel in the land of Moab beside the covenant, which he made with them in Horeb. And Moses called unto all Israel and said unto them, Ye have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt, unto Pharaoh and unto all his servants and unto all his land. The great temptations, which thine eyes have seen the signs and those great miracles. OK, now, when you study the plagues of Egypt, each one of them is a judgment from God against a false god that the Egyptians worshipped. Every one of them. So, from the dung beetle, the River Nile, the, all the water turning to blood, the cattle, the hailstones from and fire from heaven, taking out the crops, the darkness. All of those were gods the Egyptians worshipped, and our God, the true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, was showing them. I am the one true God. Look at what I'm doing to your little G gods the whole time. And so the children of Israel, what, what did they see? They saw God's mighty hand in judgment on the world, on slavery, on their being entrapped by Pharaoh and put under bondage. And so you as a Christian, what should you see? You should see God's judgment against sin being paid for on the cross it's paid for once and for all, and the death and grave have no bondage and no claim to you. It's almost like a, a bill of, of ransom was laid out that you could never pay, but God paid it, and thus death and the grave have no claim against you as an individual in, in Christ. Okay, and Because you've seen that, you've experienced that, it should encourage you, just like the, the children of Israel here in Deuteronomy. Okay, the great temptations, starting in verse four, yet the Lord hath not given you an heart to perceive and eyes to see and ears to hear unto this day. Now you can read that and initially think, hey, the Lord, they kind of had a a loaded deck, right? Against them, because it says, the Lord hath not given them an heart to perceive or eyes to see or ears to hear. When you break that down in the Hebrew, what God is saying is, I haven't granted you more to know because you didn't want to know what I gave you in the first place. Okay, so it's a it's God always has a, a principle in his economy, so to speak, in that when he trusts you with something, he says something to you. He wants to know what are you going to do with it and what you do with it will dictate what he does. Then if you reject what he says, it's kind of like your parents you know, how many of you are blessed and given more responsibility under your household when you disobey your mom and dad all the time? You're none, right? Your parents will put more restrictions around you, uh, more punishments. Hey, you need to clean this up. You've got to get this right. Now, when you are obedient, the opposite takes hold. God enriches your life more and you continue to grow more in him. And so what he's saying is you didn't give me the opportunity to trust you with more. Remember when they were out of Egypt, they went to Mount Sinai and God rained down in fire and darkness and brimstone and, and thunders and lightnings and all the millions of the children of Israel. There were about 2 million of them that left Egypt. This was a huge group of people. They were all around the mountain and God was speaking to them directly from where his position was for what they needed right then, which was, a warrior, a almighty God that was with them and going to lead them in to conquer and vanquish their enemies. But what happened? They all went to Moses after that and said, do not ever let God do that again. We do not wanna talk to him. We want you to go and talk to him directly and tell us what he says. And so from that point on, it was abysmal failure because they didn't wanna hear from God directly. Okay, and that's why it's so important to be in the word yourself. You can't learn it and and let anyone else's study of it glean and take the place of your relationship growing in God directly. Okay, you have to always remember that in verse five. And I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Now, you can find just as a side note, you can find we'll try not to go down a lot of rabbit trails here. But you can find a few places in the Bible where God references 38 years and a few places in the Bible where God references 40 years. God's very specific. So don't ever think there's a contradiction in God's word. If you think there's a contradiction, praise God and go dig into and figure out what he's saying, because there's never a contradiction. What he says is they did from the time they left Egypt. It was 40 years, 40 years in the wilderness. 38 of those years were at Kadesh Barnea. They were camped in one spot for 38 of those 40 years, never to cross the Jordan. And so both are true. But you have to you have to rightly divide God's word to find that. Forty years in the wilderness, your clothes are not waxen old upon you, and thy shoe is not waxen old upon thy foot. So when they were saved and baptized and started their walk with God, God provided them everything they needed, the, to the point that their shoes, for forty years, they roamed through the Saudi Arabian desert and mountainous regions around Israel and Egypt and Saudi Arabia and all this desert land, and their shoes didn't wear out for forty years. I can't get my kids to keep shoes for six months. You know, I feel like they're they're constantly growing and getting holes in them. And imagine all those kids, right? The miracle of their shoes, all the kids that came out of Egypt that were growing, their shoes grew with them. Think about that. They never outgrew what God's provision was. So you have to remember that your whole life. You will never outgrow God's provision. And their shoes grew with them they were porpoise skins, they were dolphins that they likely collected out of the Red Sea when it was parted. And you can find that a couple places in the scripture that they were, and that the porpoise skin actually would be perfect for a shoe in the desert because it can, it's waterproof, number one, and it can withstand heat. So that would be the perfect shoe for them. And somehow miraculously they grew as these kids grew. In verse six, You have not eaten bread, neither have you drunk wine or strong drink that you might know that I am the Lord, your God. So they didn't partake of the things of the world. They they were wanting and longing for the things of God. And you and where all of you are as teenagers, you're in a place where you can, you're gonna have a lot of choices as you're growing up to partake of the things of the world or partake of the things of God. And the more you partake of the things of God, the less you will even be tempted by the things of the world. And so you've got to keep that in mind, especially as you're going through high school and and off to college in a few years. In verse seven, and when you came into this place, Sion, the king of Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, came out against us unto battle, and we smote them. Okay, now Og, the king of Bashan, is one of the giants. He was one of the offspring of the, the Nephilim, the fallen angels, uh, he had six fingers, six toes. The, the guy was, his coffin was about 18 cubits long or 13 cubits long. It's about 19 feet in the Bible. So he, this was a big guy. But the giants, what the lesson for us is when they were out of this, the tyranny and bondage of slavery of Egypt, they went into the wilderness and the giants that wanted to stop them, the Lord took care of them and killed them directly. And they fought against them and they could not stand up against God's people. And I'm telling you right now, there are gonna be a lot of giants in your life that you've gotta stare down and you've gotta be like David and pick up the stone and just launch it. Launch it right between the eyes of that giant. And what's that stone? That stone is Christ. He's always the rock in the scripture, always. And so you've gotta lean on Jesus. Jesus will, will destroy Any enemy that comes up against you, right? No weapon formed against me shall prosper. So you've got to to remember that your whole life. In verse 8, And we took their land and gave it for an inheritance unto the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh. That's in verse 8. Now, of the 13 tribes, it's really 14 tribes of Israel that came out of Egypt, two and a half of them did not want to go into the promised land. So there was a subset of, their, of those people that were content getting their inheritance east of the Jordan. They were content being baby Christians. They were content staying where it was comfortable. They had land. They had cattle. They had mountains, whatever. It was conquered. They could rest here. But God never wanted them to, for them to stop there. He wanted them to go through the Jordan to the promised land. But they didn't. They were content to stay on the other side of the Jordan because crossing the Jordan takes sacrifice. It takes commitment. So the Lord opened the Red Sea. They went into the wilderness. You're baptized. You're born again. You start that walk. But there comes a point in your walk that God's going to call you to a higher level and to a place where you've got to make some choices and sacrifices in your life. Do I choose to cross the Jordan and take on Jericho or do I stay here? Am I content here where I am? And the Lord has a mighty call on every one of you in this room. I promise you, you are here for a purpose and a reason. There's a reason why the Holy Spirit brought you to this church, that your family's here. You all are like the special forces of God's kingdom out in this city right now. And he has a call on your life. And so the question is, will you move on into the Jordan or will you hang back and watch others walk into the promise that God has for you? Okay. keep, therefore, in verse nine, the words of this covenant and do them that she may prosper in all that she do. You know, it reminds me of James when God says, do not just be a reader of the word or a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. So let's read that again. Verse nine. Keep, therefore, the words of this covenant and do them. Now, you cannot execute on God's word and his commandment if you're not reading it, no matter how hard you think. You can't, you're not going to ace the test in calculus or algebra, or I guess you guys are in calculus yet, algebra, geometry, math, whatever you're in, you're not going to ace the test, right? When you go into class and you haven't read the book. And so when God, you're not going to hear what God's call is on your life, the more you're, you're standing back and not wanting to soak his word into your life. And you're very, the very soul of your being. It's like what we read in Proverbs at church a few weeks ago. Write your word on the tablets of my heart. Engrave them. You need Jesus to engrave his word on the tablet of your very heart. Okay, verse 10. Ye stand this day, all of you, before the Lord your God, your captains of your tribes, your elders, and your officers, with all the men of Israel, your little ones, your wives, and thy stranger that is in thy camp from the hewer of thy wood unto the drawer of thy water. Now notice that God's not drawing a distinction between what role they had. Whether you drew water out, whether you cut wood, whether you're a carpenter, a mason, whether you were an agricultural guy and you farmed and tilled land, whatever you did, you had a purpose in God's God's kingdom and his people. And so some of you in here may be pastors. Some of you in here may be evangelists. Some of you in here may be people that are called to foreign ministry work overseas. There's no, you know, who knows what God has for you, but you're all you all have a call on your life. And you've got to be in the word of God to find that out that thou shouldest enter into the covenant with the Lord thy God in verse 12 and into his oath, which the Lord thy God maketh with thee this day, that he may establish thee today for a people unto himself and that he may be unto thee a God as he hath said unto thee and as he hath sworn unto thy fathers to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. Neither with you only do I make this covenant and this oath, in verse 15, but with him that standeth here with us this day before the Lord our God, and also with him that is not here with us this day. You might be in that verse, in verse 29, in verse, uh, I'm sorry, in verse uh, 15 here, that is not here with us this day. God has an oath that he took and he swore and he has a call on your life exactly like he, does with it, he did with Israel and those people. And he's reaffirming this covenant. And yes, it's to Israel and to the, the future children of Israel that are alive today. But this principle remains that his word in here is a covenant to you also. And, you, and if you can find your place in it and find the call that God has on your life, there is nothing that can stop you ever. Ever. You will, you will feel more contentment and joy and peace in your life, no matter what you're doing, as long as you find your place in here and what you're doing in your life that is centered on God and in his word. Okay, in verse 16, for you know how we have dwelt in the land of Egypt and how we came through the nations which you passed by. And you have seen their abominations and their idols, wood and stone, silver and gold, which were among them. A couple times in Psalms and in Proverbs, God talks about how a man goes down, he takes an axe and he cuts down a tree and he carves a little idol out of it with eyes that can't see and ears that can't hear, hands that can do nothing and feet that can't walk. And yet he carves it and puts it on his mantle and he bows down to it like a god. And, you know, that principle, a lot of us in our lives, we don't go home or go to friends' houses and see little idols up on the shelf, Right that their parents are bowing down to or whatever. But in our world today, in our culture today, it's even a little more dangerous because those idols aren't idols you can see. They're idols of greed, of coveting, of the world, of the God of more. There's never enough in this world. There's always a way to get more. And if if you pay attention to those around you, they are preoccupied in this world and in this life with getting more and serving the God of more. And that God is never satisfied. And so you and your life, you've gotta be very careful not to set up that idol because it's dangerous. It's very dangerous, especially where we live in the United States, we are so blessed and prosperous and we have the opportunity to live very prosperous lives, but don't let it become a God lest there should be among you man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turneth away this day from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of these nations. See, the children of Israel, they're on their walk with the Lord, and yet they saw these other gods of these other nations they were walking through, and they decided, I want to go serve that God. I want to go serve that God. Yes, Noah. Noah. Yeah, great question. What do I mean by the God of More? The God of More. The God of More. When I make that reference, no, it means uh, the God of Coveting. The God of You Always Want More. You know, I've got a, I have a thirty-five hundred square foot home. Man, I'd love to have a five thousand square foot home. Uh, You know, I've got one really nice car. I'd love to have two. Maybe I need a, a a second house. Maybe I need. You know, it's the it's chasing the God of I want more and more and more and people will sacrifice their families and their lives and their marriages and chase that especially in the corporate world you see this a lot that people chase that ladder and always they'll do it doesn't matter what they have to do if it means they get that promotion and more they'll do it does that make sense Yeah, it's materialism. Yeah. It's materialism. So what is that called? I'm sorry, Max? Oh, it's just what I've called it. Yeah, the God of more. The God of, of it's never enough. The, le- the way to lead a successful life as a Christian is to understand and to live a life of contentment. Contentment. There's nothing, all those things I mentioned, there's nothing wrong with having those things. The problem is what people will sacrifice to get them. If they're willing to sacrifice and worship that promotion or worship their job or worship money, Max, because they, they want to serve money. They are so obsessed with it. You know, I know I've got, I knew a, a guy, he was pretty wealthy. He died, and on his deathbed, he had, he had girls, he had all these daughters. And one of them really needed help with some medical bills and their family was really struggling financially and he wouldn't help them. And <laughs> he, uh, he wanted to hold on to his money all the way to his last breath. That's how much he worshiped it. And his daughter before he died said, I really hope you've got a fireproof box for all that money for where you're going, for the way you've treated us. But that was his attitude. His attitude was, I, I've got to have it. You know, look up, um, I'm trying to remember the guy's name. They made a movie out of him recently. Uh, the guy that founded Standard Oil back in the early, early 1900s. Uh, Mason, you may know his name, but uh, Mark Wahlberg was in the movie. I think it's called Greed, but I could be wrong. Anyway, in this movie, this, it's a true story. It's based on a true story. This guy was a, a multi-billionaire his grandson, and this was in the early 1900s, that's a lot of money then. I mean, it's a lot of money today, but his grandson was kidnapped and the, the kidnappers ransomed his, wanted to ransom his grandson for something that in relation to how much money this man had, it was insignificant. It didn't matter. It'd be like if someone came up to you and said, can I have a penny? You know, if you had $1, it'd be one cent. You know, could you give that to them? It's that kind of equivalent. And the grandfather, the man with all the money would not pay the ransom to get his grandson back. And the, the reporters asked him, how much money do you need to be content? And his answer in this news conference was more. He just said more. But that's so that's Max. That's what I mean by the God of more. Does that make sense? Okay, Kenzie, you have a question? Mm-hmm. Um, it, the word addiction popped into my head. Yes. And it, just, and it doesn't even have to be, you know, drug addiction, alcohol addiction. It can be, like you said, the addiction of more. Right.
1: Because, again, in my mind when you we were speaking, I was thinking, you know, it is really the desire to fill that God-sized hole in their heart. But really the only thing that can fill that void of, of more is Christ. That's right. And Fact that God is about contentment. Like He wants mm-hmm. him, Himself to be enough,
0: you know. Because there's really nothing we can add to what He did, which is shed His blood on the cross. Exactly. Our lives. So I think that's so important that we don't focus on the God's God. work. Exactly. Like, that now? Exactly. It's yeah. A, that a workaholic. Yeah, yeah. In the term in our culture is a workaholic. Too much of it's Some true. someone that is obsessed with work and. I've known families that actually, they looked down on family members if they weren't workaholics. It was kind of a culture, a cultural issue. If you didn't have a certain career, you were looked down upon. You had to be a, a lawyer, an engineer, an accountant, or a doctor. And if you weren't one of those four, they didn't, it wasn't enough. They didn't care about, about you. I'll tell one little story real quick. No, we'll get your question next here. Or go ahead, no, go ahead. I'll tell my story in just a second.
2: Mm-hmm. Want to put it like that, like yeah. Yeah. and I want to work towards those goals and I have them, and like doing what I can to reach those goals and like chasing after them mm-hmm. is that
1: more
0: No, there's nothing there's nothing wrong with setting financial goals. That's not that's not the issue. The like I said the issue is whether you're content, it's contentment or not, right? It's a contentment oh, issue. Okay, I see. And it's It's people that are obsessed with, I've got to have more money, right? I've got to have more. What's that? Yes. Yes. You're putting money over God. That's a great way to say it. Yes. Did you say that a part of it
2: was like sacrificing your family and like what should matter more?
0: Yes. Yes, that's right. Yeah, if you sacrifice and forsake your family, according to Jesus, you're, you are less than an infidel in the New Testament. Uh, he that forsakes his, his family, his children, his wife, and others, and doesn't provide for them or take care of them and put focus on them, he's an infidel. Somebody have another question? Anyone? No? Okay. Uh, just think of it as a heathen. Yeah, think of it as a heathen. So I'll tell you this story real quick, and then we'll keep moving here in the, in the scripture. But when I, this was about, let's see, it's 2023. So this was maybe 12 years ago now when we were living in Kansas City. And I was working on a, a $2 billion project for Phillips 66 that I was leading. And huge, huge project, a lot of money. And I was kind of leading the effort. I had, I had hundreds of people working for me on this project, okay? And our CEO wrote an email on a Friday night thank you, to the whole company thanking someone else on our team for all of the effort on this project to get it to where it was. And I was, like I said, this was about 12 years ago now. And I was sitting upstairs in our home in Kansas city. And I, I pulled up the email as I was getting home in the evening, trying to get ready for the weekend with my family. And I pulled up the email and I saw what he said about a guy on my team that was, and he was just praising him and giving him all the, the accolades, right? The attaboys for a job well done. And I was sitting there and I got, my heart literally sank. I was so frustrated. Because I had been pouring in probably 70, 80-hour weeks. i had been gone three or four nights every week for months on end away from my family down in Houston. And leading this effort and making sure it got approved by their board and everything. And I was sitting there and I read this email and I'm telling you, my heart sank. I felt like it went through the downstairs into our basement and down into the earth. Okay, And I was sitting there and the Lord asked me one question that changed my life forever. One question, as I was sitting there, he said, Matt, are you working for the praise of man? And that was it. One question, he said, Matt, are you working for the praise of man? And I said, I just answered, no, Lord, I'm not. And my life changed radically from that day forward. I, It was like he delivered me from ever caring about what the world thought of me. Or if I got any congratulations from anyone for anything I ever did, it didn't matter to me anymore from that moment. And that that was 12 years ago. I was 30 years old. I had to learn that lesson. So anyway, I hope that makes sense. Okay, in verse 18, lest there should be among you man or woman or family or tribe, whose heart turneth away this day from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of these nations, lest there should be among you a root that beareth gall and wormwood. What God is saying there is, if you have a root of bitterness in your life of gall and wormwood, it will draw you away to serve other gods. You'll get angry. You'll despise those around you. You'll despise what God has for you. You won't be content, speaking of that, And Hebrews talks deeply about making sure you have to, you can't just cut off a a tree of bitterness. You have to uproot it. You know, how many of you in a garden in the summertime, you've got the weed eater out and and your parents want you to go out there and you knock down all those weeds in the garden with the weed eater and you come out the next morning and what's happened? They're all back back again. (laughs) All the dandelions are back. They're growing in the garden. And what you have to do to get rid of it in your in your own life, just like in the garden, is get on your knees before the Lord and get it uprooted. That's what you have to do. You've got to uproot it from its source. Okay, in verse 19. And it come to pass when he heareth the words of this curse, that he bless himself in his heart, saying, I shall have peace, though I walk in the imagination of mine heart to add drunkenness to, to thirst. Now, the what God is saying here is here's someone that when he hears the word of God that, Hey, you need to surrender to me. You need to walk with, he's talking to God's people. And the same was with all of you as Christians. When you, when you walk with the Lord and you think, God doesn't care if I hide that in my closet, God doesn't care if I have that one little skeleton in the closet that, you know, I'll say in my heart, I have peace. I walk, I walk in truth, you know, and God is saying, no, I see what you are hiding. So as you're growing up, and again, there's a lot of things out there in the world, a lot of gods that will come before you to say, hey, come with me. Let come. Let's let me get to know you. And what you have to do is, is say, no, thank you. I'm a child of the king and stay, stay in lockstep with the Lord. You can't hide things from him. He will know in verse 20. The Lord will not spare him, but then the anger of the Lord and his jealousy shall smoke against that man and all the curses that are written in this book shall lie upon him and the Lord shall blot out his name from under heaven. You know, God has a standard and if, if you're walking, if you're born again and saved, you have to live according to that standard. And if you don't, you too will be disinherited. You will not be allowed Certain access or into places or into a deeper fellowship with the Lord, and what He will do. Notice in that verse, in verse, in verse twenty, He will blot your name from under heaven, not from the book of life. He blots those names if you reject Jesus and you're not saved. So one of the things you can do to prove that everyone that was ever born was destined to be saved or pre-ordained or however whatever term you want to use is their name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life because when they reject Jesus, he has to blot out their name. So to blot it out, their name had to be written there. Do you see the logic? So for, for them to be blotted out of the Lamb's Book of Life, their name had to be written there. For their name to be blotted out, out from under heaven means they're disinherited. It's a totally different thing. Yes, Claire. How do you
2: like explain to someone, like if they're like, well, if God knows what you're, you're gonna choose and God knows what you're gonna do, like why didn't he choose that mm-hmm. Chose for some people to go to heaven and some people for not. But it's like, how do you mm-hmm. explain that it was your choice when he knew
0: what was gonna happen? Yeah, so great question. So God is sovereign, number one. You have to remember the sovereignty of God, number one. He will never interfere with your free will, ever. If he did, then everyone that to ever live would be saved. But he can't, because of Second Peter 3:9. For God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to everlasting life. So his will is that everyone is saved. I've known a lot of people that have died not saved. So God's not getting his will in that regard. Now, ultimately, he works everything to a plan and to a goal. But he he has to work within your free will. So if you don't want to be born again or saved, he has to respect that. Right. Do you understand? Does that make sense, Claire? So then so then kind of the digging down a little further into your question, you're asking, well, does does God as a result then choose certain people to go to hell or to not go to heaven? Right. Is that kind of the, a little bit of your question?
2: Mm -hmm. like every little detail thoughts and everything so it's like how would you like I don't know I just have a hard time not in my mind like my mind around like if he knew like when you were in this room like what you were going to choose like Mm -hmm. if you were going to choose him or not like that plan doesn't change like unless that's your so it's like how would
0: you you uh, Albert Einstein had a famous quote God doesn't play dice You know why he would win (laughs) he'd win every time but okay so take a step back he would think about it like this like we just talked about everyone's name that's ever been created by god is written in the lamb's book of life so jesus according to hebrews 2 9 tasted death for every man he died for everyone that's why their name's in the lamb's book of life in psalms 139 he says before any one of my members was even formed in the center of the earth, my name was written in the book of life. My name was written there before my members, when as yet there were none of them. And so what he's saying is everyone was predestined. If you want to use that phrase to salvation. Once you're born, it's up to you because you have free will on whether or not you choose to surrender your life and accept the penalty, the payment that Jesus made for the penalty of sin. Once you accept that, then he, in the blood of Christ, traces over your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. You're forever saved in that moment. But if you reject him and you die without accepting him, he has to blot your name out. And so everyone is, by in God's perspective, everyone is supposed to go to heaven. In hell, actually, in the Bible, it even says hell was created for Satan and his angels. It was never created for man. The fact that man got himself in a predicament that he could end up there is because of the fault of man. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Yes, Hayes. Yeah. She wants to elaborate, Claire. Did that help, though, Claire? Did that make sense? What I said?
2: Yeah,
3: it's just like it's a hard question. Um, It's
0: a hard question. Yeah. So just think about it. Okay, think about it like this, Claire. Think about like this. You, you are one of seven. All seven of your, all six of your siblings are the children of Mason and Jenny Zabel. Now, you're a child. But at some point, you have free will as you get older, where if you don't want a relationship with your mom and dad, which is not going to happen, I bind those words in Jesus' name. But as you get older, if you choose not to have a relationship, I mean, Mason and Jenny will at some point have to respect that, right? And say, okay, well, I guess my child doesn't want a relationship with me. It's kind of the same with Jesus. You know, everyone's his child, but there's a lot of them out there that don't want a relationship with him. And he's, he's a... He's a gentleman, he's going to respect that. Does that make sense? Okay, yes, Ella. So, you know how, like you said, uh, everyone is like, predestined to go to heaven pretty much, but it's when they choose their life, and it's their life. Yeah. How's that work? Yeah. Great question. So Romans one, go read Romans one, Romans one declares that the creation alone holds man accountable. And it's the lifelong question, right? That people ask people that are skeptical of Jesus ask all the time. Well, what about the guy on the deserted Island? That's of some Amazon tribe that never has heard the name of Jesus. Well, well, Romans one talks about the creation alone, the fact that you walk around this earth with oxygen to breathe, the way that you are created yourself, looking at trees, grass, the fruit, things that grow animals, that that alone is enough to hold you accountable that there's a God. And well, that's that's a great question. So if there's those people, if they look at creation and know there's a God, God then says, I've set eternity in their heart. They know that they know deep down inside every person that's ever lived knows they are eternal. It's just the people, a lot of people don't wanna accept it. And that's one of the reasons why Satan has a lot of false doctrine out there called annihilationism and that once you die, you just die. That's not biblical at all. Uh, but he's trying to counteract what God said. So they, they know there's a creator. And because of that, they naturally will be lent toward worshiping that Creator, and they will find God. I promise you, they will find Him.
3: Or they'll have a chance to find God.
0: Yeah, that's right, Max. They might. We might send an airplane from New City and just drop Bibles all over deserted islands. Like,
2: like I was thinking about this too. Like God can go give us checkpoints, but if we don't go through those checkpoints.
0: yeah it's like the little flag in mario right when you're in the level and you're halfway through and you run through the little flag and then you start at that checkpoint all the time no matter what yeah Uh, oh sorry no mabry first girls first well i just remember you like telling me and i asked like that exact same
2: question you're like god gives everyone a chance like no matter what
0: yeah Everyone is given a chance. In fact, multiple chances, because the Holy Spirit's pulling on them constantly until the day they take their last breath. Yeah, Noah. So, if God knows where you're
2: going to end up, He knows that, right? He knows if you're going to end up heaven or hell. So, I guess, like, does He try to help you? Like, yes.
0: So he He wants you in heaven.
2: Yes. So, if you're on a timeline, a sh- straight shot, point A, point B, point B is where you end up. up. If he's outside the timeline, but he knows where you're going to end up, and he still tries to help you not get there.
0: Well, no, he's the Holy Spirit is constantly moving and acting in the lives of those that have rejected Him. In terms of... What if they haven't rejected him? Would they just...
2: Like, uh, he knows where... So if he knows where they're going to go, but they haven't rejected... Oh, okay, well, if he knows where they're going to go, they somehow haven't
0: rejected Yeah. Whether they've rejected him or haven't accepted him yet. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the Lord, the Lord in, am, in amazing ways, will put chance after chance after chance in the lives of people... You know i think about chad's testimony of walking into cracker barrel as an atheist you know when mason and i were sitting there
3: this is these are such big topics you have to always keep in mind the character of god in this situation you have to know because his word says that he is good that he is just Mm -hmm. okay Um, that he is uh, full of mercy that he's long-suffering these big questions, because if you just look at them with this, this like microscope, you're like, well, he knew, and then what, you know, but <laughs> but, you know, he, like, like Pastor Matt saying, he's given us free will, but that, that he's still going to uh, uh, create us, you know, and, and he knew that Adam and Eve were going to fall, but he still made them, and he had a remedy for it, and he's made a way that anybody can choose, and Allah, let me just say this, The fastest growing Christian population on the planet is in Iran, okay? And they grew up in that way that you're thinking right now. And sometimes people that grow up in kind of a lukewarm Christianity faith might have it the most difficult. Because they think they're, you know, I'm I'm American and I go to church and stuff, so I'm a Christ follower. But someone that's persecuted is more difficult, you know? So you just kind of think about these things. that
1: every day because their their need for him is so much greater. You know, but they may not know where they're gonna get their food for dinner. You go to the only on the way home or you know what I'm saying? Like it's not really a thought we know that we can go to the grocery store and get the food and bring it back and look it. They don't know if their meal's giving so they rely so heavily on him to provide. that the real that the need for him is so much greater. You know, people always say our need for him is how much we know him. You know what I'm saying? Like some people, oh, that, what did they say about a person that like you gave, examples of some people that are very wealthy, you know, with just monetary values. Um,
0: don't they say people that
1: haven't a, a lot of money, it's, they're the hardest population to get to have. Yes. They hold on so much to something that has an empty box. Well, they
0: think they don't need a provider. Yes,
1: because they can have everything.
0: I don't need a savior. What are you talking about? I've got everything covered. Exactly. You know, I, I don't need anything. Yes. So yeah.
2: like, yes. Can so if God knows where you're gonna end up, it's like can you can he like can that change?
3: He he has foreknowledge. He cannot help but have foreknowledge. That means no, I, I know. So so, so if like, he, so he but it's not like he
0: makes it that way. No, I know.
2: You know, I'm asking like if he like he has knowledge that you're gonna need it like
0: can. Is that after like all the efforts and stuff? Like that's just... So think about there? like this, Claire, if, you, if the stove was turning on and there was a pot of boiling water on it and your dad, your dad would know, Claire, if you stick your hand in that pot, it's going to burn you badly. Okay, I know what's going to happen if you do that, but you choose not to do it. So did the outcome change? You know, yes, because you, you, your free will, you chose to go a different way. If the, ask the question one more time, Claire.
2: So like his knowledge of the future and like what's going to happen, like if he knows this is where you're going to end up as of like right now or whatever, like can
0: that change or is that just like done? No, no, no. That's why I used the example of the boiling pot, right? I know where you will end up if you go and put your hand in the boiling water, but it can change. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes. Like yeah, it's it, it yeah. is greater than ours for sure. Yes, Ellen. Yeah. Kind of like, like, yeah. you know Absolutely.
2: Like, there's like like if you think of like there's are right here and then you could do this and this, this and you know this and the outcome like, of Of yep. every know? one of
0: them. I mean, I Absolutely. Mean,
2: then he can, like you said, he, you can, you know, going on with what she said, like you can go through a maze, and he knows all the outcomes to every spot. But like, is there, is he gonna, like the Holy Spirit's gonna, you know, can let you know things? Like, it, could it tell you to go this way, and then that will lead you? Yes. To he does. Exactly, the teacher. Yeah. Yes. So it's yeah. Just like a
0: yeah, that's right, Max. What's that, Noah? It's like, Yes. Oh. Exactly.
2: So. That's so good. So, uh, okay, so but, what happens? So, so if he
1: knows. Okay. <laughs> okay, so. Noah
0: said it's like he'll guide you through the maze. It's just whether or not you'll respond.
2: Exactly. So I guess That's like I guess right. he knows or, where you're going to. Okay. I just have, like a ton of. I just still. I just right. still can't really get my mind around. if like, he knows where you're going to go. But. Hey, Max. I just. Asked, we just talked about this. So I. You don't have a set location you choose it's like you God doesn't have a set location if you're going to heaven or heaven. It's not it's like he already knows if you're going or not you get to choose
3: well Without, what, I, what I'm saying you, he, God does not create a person and set them to where they're going to end up he creates a person and because he is omnipotent and omniscient and all knowing and sovereign and all those wonderful things, he can't help but know what you're ultimately going to choose, but he gives you the choice. And he wants you to choose his son Jesus as as the, the, the free gift of salvation, the gospel. You know what I mean? But it's not yeah. like I make, you know, God saying he makes this person and they're going here. But he knows what he knows what he knew that you're going to put that cup right there. <laughs> but you chose to do it. But he knew
0: it. Okay, one, we're running out of time here. Maybe one more question.
3: So are we, like,
2: we're still living out our future, but is God just, like, living it with us? Like, so, like, we're still deciding our future, but is God, like, in it with us pretty much?
0: Yeah, like absolutely.
2: Helping us, pulling us, I should say, like, decide our future. Yes. Like, it's not set.
0: Yes, he has. According to Jeremiah, he knows the plans he has for you. Yeah. And so he knows. He knew that with all of these eight families that he wanted us to start New City Church three years ago this month. And so he knew that he knew the plans he had for us, but we had to respond. And he made it very clear from Esther four fourteen that if we don't respond, he'll he'll give it to someone else. He'll raise up someone else to do it. He gave us the vision. Yes. Yes, to step out to the call. Step out to the call. Okay, verse, uh, just to wrap up here, because your parents are probably out in the parking lot waiting on us. And the Lord shall separate him unto evil out of all the tribes of Israel according to all the curses of the covenant that are written in this book of the law. Verse 22, so that the generation to come of your children that shall rise up after you and the stranger that shall come from a far land shall say, when they see the plagues of that land, and the sickness which the Lord hath laid upon it and that the whole land thereof is brimstone and salt and burning that is not sown nor beareth any nor any green, any grass growth therein like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah so basically what God's saying is when I judge you for not listening to me, other people are going to look around and go, oh, yeah that's, God had a chastening and a judgment on them, and in fact I know a lot of adult Christians actually that, um God, God chastens. I mean, they're legitimate sons and daughters. They are Christians that are following the Lord or love the Lord and are saved. But God, outside of His will, from outside the Word of God, and God had to correct them and try to bring them back.
2: Yeah, so He will do that I was just to you. Thinking, like, if you, you know, you just said you will have like consequences and stuff, and like if you go against or sin against God, He will. You will redirect your path by, like, letting you know that you made a mistake yes. to go back on that
0: narrow road. And he usually gives you a lot of chances to make it right before you. <laughs> okay, I'm going to skip down here to um, verse 27. The last three verses here. We'll wrap it up. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against this land to bring upon it all the curses that are written in this book. And the Lord rooted them out of their land in anger and in wrath and in great indignation and cast them into another land as it is this day, so they were disinherited of what God had for them. In this last verse, Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine, I want all of you to, to commit this to memory if you can. It's easy to remember, Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. The secret things belong to God, but those things that are revealed belong to us and our children to do them. And Proverbs 25, two it's the glory of God to conceal a thing and an honor of Kings to search out a matter. So the secret things belong to God there. This book, what I want to just leave you with is encouragement through that, I hope you got some lessons out of what the children of Israel went through in their walk in the wilderness. But this book is full of secrets that God has hidden here, treasures to be dug out. And the glory, his glory is to conceal these matters. And our honor as kings is to search it out and to find it. That, the, that those things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever. Okay, any other questions? We we'll close in prayer. Oh yeah, I'm trying to remember why I wanted to show you guys this. Oh, I remember now. Why? You know when you when you get into the Word of God too, and you study the secret things of God, so to speak, those things that are that are they're so plainly, and sometimes they're kind of hidden, where you've got to search out the scriptures and dig this stuff out. It builds your faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And so when you study God's word, it builds your faith and you will be so passionate to serve God. And what I loved about this picture is, you know, here are these fans and you see this every year around this time, right? Football stadiums, we're getting into cold winter months, snow everywhere, and fans will pile into the stadium. A hundred thousand people will go fill the stands for four hours and sit in the snow to the threat of frostbite and sit there and cheer on their team, they're that committed to a sport, to something that you leave and three weeks later, you probably don't even remember who won the game. They're that committed. And I love the the caption on it. Just imagine if our churches had members with this kind of faithfulness and passion because you would change the world in no time flat. And the thing that the reason why our churches don't have this kind of passion and faithfulness is because they don't teach the word of God. The, the people come in, they get their leadership message and three bullet points and they go home for the week and they got nothing out of it to to transform their lives and transform their minds by the word of God. And they go home. And as a result, they're more passionate about this than the God that created them. And so what I just want to encourage all of you to do is you've got to be in the Bible. You have to be in the word of God so that you grow up passionate for your creator. You are going to spend an eternity with him, not with a game, you know, not with something else of this world. And when you take your last breath here, that eternity starts instantaneously with Jesus and Like anything in your life, before you get there, you want to do some planning, right? You want to plan. You want to know where you're going. What are you going to do? Who's going to be there? Where am I going to eat? You know, whatever the plans are. And this book lays out those plans. So I just want to encourage you all with that. So when you get passionate, get into the word of God, study everything the Old Testament is for us to study and show ourselves approved. And thanks for having me tonight, guys. Appreciate it. Lord, I thank you so much for all of these these young men and women. God, I pray that you would ingrain in them a passion and an urgency for you, Jesus, their Messiah. You have a call on their lives, and they have the freedom to accept it or to walk away. And God, I pray that they accept it. Lord, just as you said so many times in the Bible, I lay before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Lord, I pray that this day they choose life and that they choose to walk with you and to abide in you and to be with you, God. Be with us as we leave this place and let us be bold witnesses for your kingdom out in our workplaces, our schools, our communities, and all of our friends and family out there, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.